I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, our, our new year has begun in morning worship by giving what I designed to be careful consideration to the 19th Psalm. I've argued with you and tried to demonstrate to you that uh, this 19th Psalm is central to a cluster of Psalms that begins in Psalm 15 and ends in Psalm 24. And right in the middle is this 19th Psalm, and it's arranged around these Psalms that address an array of issues that Psalm 19 is central to. And I'll just tell you what they are just in review. Those Psalms speak of our approach to God, our trust in God, our help in God, our victory in and through God. And it seems to me that all of these subjects of our approach, our trust, our help, our victory, have at its core, at its center, the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God that is revealed to us both in his world and in his word. In the heavens that declare his glory and in the Torah that converts and that cleanses and that sustains and that perfects and that guides. Now the psalm itself has three what seem to be on the surface very different concerns. It begins with what can be called a creation psalm, a psalm that celebrates creation and God's glory revealed in that creation. And then in verse 7, it focuses upon the Torah, the law, the instruction that God gives in his revealed word. And it gives a number of different statements about the law and its purposes and its usages. And then it speaks about how the law is to be desired and how the law functions to both warn and to reward. And then having addressed us with a creation psalm and then moving into a Torah or an instruction psalm, it ends with a prayer. A prayer of needing to discern our sins and our errors and the seeking for forgiveness and help with our sins and then a prayer that the words of our mouth and our meditations would be all pleasing in the sight of God. We began to consider the creation element in verses 1 to 3 last Lord's Day where the psalm teaches us that God's glory his attributes, the fullness of all that is in God, is made known in the created order. The heavens declare his glory, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And this revelation of God is consistent and continual day by day. This knowledge pours forth, this speech reveals his glory, and it does so wordlessly in no spoken language, and yet clearly understood by every language and every peoples throughout the world. And there's a real sense in which this display of God's glory in the created order is that which displays for us the vastness of his universe. What we might think of is just the seeming infinitude of space. And the reality that 
all space being his handiwork is filled by his presence. I think it's in Jeremiah, God says in Jeremiah 10, do not I fill heaven and earth. There's no place where God is not in all the vastness of his universe. And the psalmist says, when I consider your handiwork, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? We're simply overwhelmed by the awesomeness of creation and we behold in it our own weakness, our smallness, our puniness, our insufficiency. And we say, what is man that you're mindful of him? And again, we can never figure it out on our own, but thankfully there's a companion volume in the law of the Lord that converts the soul. And so, but these two volumes all both speak to the believer. They speak to the believer of who God is and reveal to us something of his majesty as we live in this world that we see in the vastness of space, no space without God. Think of the 139th Psalm. Where shall I flee from your presence? I shall ascend into the heavens, you're there. I shall go to the depths of the, he- of the earth, and you're there. There's no place we are not. You are not. I go to the uttermost parts of the sea. He, he can't flee from God. He can't escape from his presence. He is in the fullness of the vastness of space. He, in, in his immensity. And that you take our breath away. That you bring us to contemplate the vastness and the wonder, the infinitude of our Maker. But there's not only the what we might call the sacredness of space. Now there's a sense in which there is such a thing as special sacred space. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in their midst. And he also says, when we spread the gospel, the church does its work of making disciples of the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching all things, whatever he has commanded, as we are pursuing his work, he says, there am I in their midst. There, he says, uh, um, I, will, lo, I'll, I will be with you even to the end of the age. The presence of Jesus has a special presence where holy activities are being pursued. But because God is in every place, folks, there's no place where he is not holy. There's no space that is not holy. You don't have to be in this building to worship the Lord this morning. The folks worshiping the Lord together with us on Zoom are just as much in the midst of holy space where Jesus promises his own presence as the building that has been set apart for the worship of God. All space, in a sense, is holy because God is present in every point of space. But the psalm doesn't just end there with the considering the vastness of the heavens, the sky above, the firmament that God made, proclaiming the handiwork of God. But there's something else that's focused upon that is also in the creation narrative of Genesis chapter 1, and that is the creation of the sun, or the existence of the sun. And that's in verse, or the end of verse 4, it says, in them, that is in the heavens, in the vastness of the sky, and the space that God has made, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy, 
Its rising is from the end of the heaven, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hid from its heat. Now, as I read that this morning, there's probably some of that that you say, oh yeah, okay, I get that. Uh, The sun rises in the east, it makes its course through the sky to where it appears, at least from our perspective, to be setting in the west. Of course, we know it's not the sun that's moving, it's the earth that's moving. But nonetheless, the appearance of things is a sunrise and a sunset. And even use that today, I mean, people still talk, the meteorologists still say, sunrise tomorrow is... And we know the sun doesn't rise, but it does appear to. And so that's the appearance of the thing from the east to the west, running its course. But then this whole business of how it comes forth from a chamber, like a bridegroom and a strong man running his course. And we scratch our heads and say, that's interesting metaphors. It's interesting similes. It's like this. It's like this. But how is it like this? That's when the preacher runs through his commentaries and he begins to scour. What has Calvin said and what has other commentators said on this subject? They, they must be able to give some light and some insight. And, you know, I've come away from a whole week of scanning commentaries and getting very little concrete information as to what in the world the sun teaches us and what in the world this imagery of a strong man and the imagery is a bridegroom leaving a, a chamber would say to us as God's people. And so, though the commentators sort of let me down, uh, I endeavored to do my work just in looking at various passages of scripture that contain similar language in order to come up with at least some provisional understandings. And I don't know the final word of the thing. Again, I feel vexed just by the fact that there's so little readable stuff that I could uh, uh, commend to you and say, well, go read what this writer says and everything will soon become clear. I'm not going to say that everything I'm going to say to you this morning is going to lead to that, that everything I say, everything will soon become clear. But at least I've tried to make an honest effort to look at passages of Scripture that I think bear upon the matter. And um, let me just say that if the heavens and the skies proclaim the glory of God in the vast immensity of the display of, of space... I think when we think of the sun, particularly in its risings and its settings, um, there's something in the passage that speaks about its nearness to us. I know that's ridiculous if we know the facts of science, but the facts of science were not known by the biblical writers. In other words, they couldn't tell us that the sun is... uh, has a temperature of 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. Its composition is, is that of hydrogen and helium gases. And, and they wouldn't have been able to tell us that it has a, um, a distance from, this, from the earth that is, is, I don't even know what it is, but as vast as that distance is. But the reality is we feel its heat every single day. And we obtain the benefits of its light every single day. And there's nothing that we do every day that's not without the sun's presence. At least particularly a working man that's out in the fields, that's doing his work of farming, that's tending his sheep, doing all the things that you're liable to do in the ancient world. You're always in contact with the sun. You're always aware of its presence. You're always aware of its light, and you're always aware of its warmth. Of course, preachers like me that sit in studies, and we have uh, fluorescent lights and artificial lights, 
you know, we're thankful for those things, but we don't get to contemplate as much as we should, perhaps, the reality of sunlight and sun heat and the benefits that we receive from it day by day. And we can understand why the ancients, pagans of the world, and even people today, came to be sun worshippers, came to view suns as gods, in a sense. And the Bible, of course, does not countenance that. It's worshipping the creature rather than the creator. But it points us to the reality that the Son is God's Son. He is the one that's placed it in the heavens. He is the one that's appointed its movements. He is the one that controls the fact that it rises each day, at least in terms of how we see it, and it sets each night, and that we feel its heat, and nothing is hidden from the heat of it. He is the one whom Jesus says causes his Son to shine upon the just and the unjust. It's not just the Son, and it's certainly not a deity. It's God's Son that sheds its light and it sheds its heat throughout all of creation, providing heat and light continually to God's creatures as it makes its way in its course across the heavens, enabling us to labor, enabling us to do the work that is needed in the daylight. But as a creation psalm, the words draw upon the creation account. And the creation account of the sun doesn't just deal with light and heat. It's an interesting thing that light was made the first day. God said the first day, let there be light, and there was light. And he divided the light from the darkness, and he called the darkness night, and he called the light morning, morning and evening, day one. God created is light. He doesn't need light bearers, but he does create the, the, the expanse of the heavens, and then he puts in the expanse of the heavens these light bearers. But when you read the account of the fourth day, when the sun, the moon, and the stars were made, the interesting thing is it doesn't so much highlight that this is for heat and this is for light, but rather this is to rule the day, to rule the night, and it's to be, in the words of Genesis chapter 1, he says, Let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and for years. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light upon the earth. Yes, they are light bearers, they give light upon the earth, but they are made to function first and foremost to separate days from nights and times and seasons. That's very significant. Because you have an account of creation that culminates in the seventh day. In the seventh day in which God blesses and hallows a day. He views his created works on that seventh day. And he says, it's very good. And he blessed the seventh day. He made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And of course, that becomes the very basis of the fourth commandment, of man's cycles of work and of rest. 
But we are called upon to give every seventh day, every seventh revolution of the sun around the earth, or the earth around the sun, actually the earth on its axis, but every apparent course of the sun through the heavens, that that becomes sacred time. That becomes a time and a season. That becomes a period of our existence in which we're called upon to set apart that time for special religious worship and observance. And that's true with reference not just to the seven-day Sabbath, but it's also with reference to times and seasons that comprised Israel's holy days and holy weeks. It's festivals of the Passover, this weekly Passover celebration, and it's weekly Feast of Booths, and it's weekly, these are all seven-day celebrations, seven-day feasts. And those would be also for the purposes of setting those days apart as special seasons of worship. The people of Israel would leave their homes, they'd go up to Jerusalem, they'd go into that holy space of the temple at the holy times and seasons to worship God. And so the creation account is telling us that both of these things are realities. That we are to be a people that know we live in a world, we live in a universe as God's creatures that comprise both holy space and holy times. There are places in which God has promised a special presence. Even in the New Covenant where two or three are gathered together in my name. There are special seasons which God's people gather. As often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you show forth the Lord's death till he comes. There's a time and a season and a place. You have in the Old Testament the morning and the evening sacrifices. This was regulated by the movements of the sun. The sun would rise, come forth from its chambers as a bridegroom running its course as a strong man through the heavens. And when the people of God would see the sun coming forth from its chambers, that's the time for the priestly sacrifices in the tabernacle and in the temple. That's the time for morning prayers to be offered unto God. God's given us a new day. He's given us new space of time within which we are to honor Him as the day begins, as the day proceeds, as the day ends. It's an interesting thing that I think in the book of the Psalms, that in the Psalms we have in the first couple of Psalms, something of a promise of the restoration of creation's blessings. Psalm 1 and 2 both begin with the word blessed. Remember, God blessed the seventh day. God blessed the man that said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And the blessing was lost through sin. After sin came cursing rather than blessing. And the Psalms are the restoration of creation's blessing. That's what the first Psalm speaks of, being like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It's almost like we're back in Eden. The water's flowing through Eden, through the, through the beauty of God's garden. We're back in God's garden where God supplies our needs fully and richly and all things prosper. And we eat of the tree of life and we eat of the sufficiency of God's uh, fruitful uh, provisions, bearing fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever we do, it prosper. And no sooner do you have the restoration of creation's blessings in Psalm 1, do you have the restoration of kingship in the Messiah. Psalm 2. Psalm 2 speaks of 
the nations raging against the Lord and against his anointed. And God says, I will set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Adam was supposed to be the king, right? He was to have dominion over the fish of the sea of the birds of the air. But the sin came in and curse came in. And now God's going to restore blessing through a kingly figure. David's son, the son of the living God. I've, the, this, um, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. He will make the nations for his inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession. And then the conclusion is that blessed are they who take refuge in him. It's not just the blessed people who are instructed by God's law to come back to Eden and the blessings of a new creation, but we're called to submit ourselves to God's rightful king, Jesus, who's the ultimate king. We bow before and we worship. So you have these restoration psalms, the restoration of creation's blessing. And then you know what Psalm 3 and 4 are about? Morning and evening prayers. Morning and evening prayers. I lay down my head and rest, for you have, you have kept me. I wake to the morning to morning, and I, you hear my voice. God's voice is heard by his people. As, the, as he's put the tent, the, the sun in, in a tent, which speaks of the fact that from God's own presence, God's tent, God's tent of meeting you have in the wilderness, you have the tent of God's worship, the tent of his presence upon the earth in the tabernacle. So creation itself is a tent in which God's presence is made manifest. And from God's presence comes His Son. And says, my children, wake up this morning and recognize this is a new day, a new 24 hours in which you are to honor me and serve me. This is part of the six days, at least Monday, tomorrow, part of the six days you're called upon to labor. Awake to the labors of the day. Awake to honor the Lord in your labors. And awake to perhaps begin the day with prayer. The Lord, you'd bless my labors. Thank you for keeping me through the night. The Son is God's testimony of His kindness and goodness to give us another day. To give us what ought to be for us holy space in which to seek Him. In which to offer to Him our prayers. Psalm 55 says, Morning, noontime, and evening, you will hear my voice. How do you measure morning, evening, and noontime? Well, it's again the motion of the sun. The sun coming out from its tent, coming out from the presence of God, give light and heat upon the earth. And we're called upon not just to engage in our labors, not just the work of our hands, but part of the work of life is worship. Part of the work of life is seeking His presence and seeking His blessing. And isn't it an interesting thing when God plants that garden in an Eden and puts the man in the garden? We don't read about all the events that took place while Adam is in the garden in an unfallen condition. The only thing we do read that when he did fall, in chapter 3, the man heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, that phrase, cool of the day, is interesting, and most people say we can't have a clue as to what cool of the day means. Well, if the earth knows the heat of the day, because the sun provides that heat, the 19th Psalm tells us, I think the cool of the day is probably the time when the sun is setting. And the idea would seem to be, again, you've got to read a little bit into it, but I don't think it's all that hard to figure out. The man is given to labor through the day, and then at the cool of the day, God approaches to meet with him, to fellowship with him. 
And I believe if man had never sinned, if man had maintained his integrity, if we lived in a paradise garden, we'd get up in the morning and recognize God's calling us to fellowship with him, to seek him, whether he made an appearance in some theophany walking in the garden or not. From the rising of the sun unto its setting, you are God, and you are to be praised. I think that's some... 101, I think it says that, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the sun itself testifies of its maker, testifies of holy time. This is a new day, a new opportunity to live before the living God, to not only labor with our hands the things that are good, to provide for ourselves and to provide for others, not only to fulfill that mandate that six days you shall labor, but on each day, not just the Sabbath day, but each day, There should be the morning sacrifices. There should be the evening sacrifices. There should be the set times that we set apart to seeking the Lord. There are Christians that say, well, all times are times when I just praise the Lord. It seems to me like all times means no time. When there's no special time that you set apart for prayer and for worship, you just never seem to get around to it. It's it's like always there out there. I'll find time when it happens, but you never do unless you make the time. And I think the reality of what the, what the Bible is indicating through the reality of the sun being in God's tent and coming forth from God's presence to enlighten the world is really something that for me, since I've been studying this, has become more and more of a call to recognize that fact and to do what I sometimes fail to do because I think, oh, my best times are later on in the morning after I had my coffee. But just to begin the day endeavoring to praise the Lord, endeavoring to acknowledge Him, to acknowledge His mercies to me through the night and to pray that morning prayer of Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 and to allow that to be something that structures my day because, again, time in this world is not to be frittered away. It's sacred, holy time of divine appointment for which we will give an account. The psalm writer says, teach us to number our days that we may gain us a heart of wisdom. The Apostle Paul says we're to be buying up the time for the days are evil. That's another motivation to buy up the time. We don't have have an, an infinite supply of it is in short measure we will soon be leaving this world and anything we do we must do today everything we do we must do now there's an imperative of today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart today endeavor to be seeking him recognizing today is holy time that it should be invested in his kingdom work should be invested in the nurturing of our own hearts and minds and souls in his fear of worshiping and serving him. And so I think what this psalm is telling us is there's no space in which God is not present and there's no time in which he's not to be encountered. Heavens declare his glory. Firmament shows forth his handiwork. Continual speech to the ends of the earth testifying of God's immensity and of our need to humble ourselves before him in recognition that he is in every place and a force to be reckoned with and then to recognize as we see the light of the sun this is a new time we're given 
another day to be invested in kingdom concerns for his glory and for our own good. But what about those metaphors? What about those metaphors? What about this whole business of the bridegroom coming forth from the bridal chamber and the strong man running its course? And it's an interesting thing because the idea of bridegrooms and the idea of marriage very frequently in Scripture relates to the theme of covenant. It relates to the theme of promise. It relates to the theme of God's own commitment. Now, God did make a promise with reference to the creation itself that there would always be seed time and harvest. There would always be the the day and night. There would always be the, the seasons that would meet with some measure of regularity without a, without a universal flood again coming upon the earth. That's part of the Noahic promise. The promise in the days of Noah after the flood that God would not again inundate the world with a universal flood. But there's also something to be said for the fact that the regularity with which the sun carries out its work, and it doesn't cease, it doesn't stop, it doesn't take days off, each and every day it doesn't uh, wane in its work and its splendor. So God's word of commitment is worthy of dependency and confidence and trust. Because in a real sense, you know, time not only speaks of, its, of sacredness, but it speaks of certainty. It speaks of divine dependability. It speaks of a strong man going forth to accomplish its work. And the accomplishment of that work will not be hindered. And in the 33rd chapter of the book of Jeremiah, an interesting passage came to my mind, and I want to quote it for you here this morning. In Jeremiah chapter 33, I guess in verse 19, the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah, thus says Yahweh, if you can break my covenant with the day, and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David my servant may be broken, so that he shall not have his son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, the sand of the sea cannot be measured, so I'll multiply the offspring of David my servant and the Levitical priests who minister to me. We can depend upon the sun rising tomorrow. The scholar O'Hara would say tomorrow is another day. Well, we often say that tomorrow is another day. We have that confidence that if we're not taken into glory, we will see another day. The sun will rise. There's certainty of God's covenant with the day and with the night. Of regularity. God's made an ordered universe. He's made a dependable universe. And so his commitments, his promises, those things that he has pledged himself to do will never be rescinded. The gifts of God are without repentance. His, his blessings he doesn't give and then take away. When he makes promise to his people that he that endures to the end will be saved, 
that's not something that's just filler for, for Scripture. When Scripture tells us they that believe will not be put to shame, that's not something that we just say, well, it may be so or it may not. We, we don't walk away from our Bible reading as Gershwin saying it ain't necessarily so. We say it's certainly so, it's definitely so, as sure as day follows night, as sure as God has made covenant with the day and with the night, his promises can never fail. He is the God who watches over his word to perform it. And that also leads into the fact that his covenant commitments, his covenant promises are markers of hope, of hope for God's people. Time offers us hope, hope of a new day. Anna Green Gables would say, every day begins with no faults, no mistakes, no errors. You haven't blown it yet. What a hope, what a, hope, what a promise. Maybe today I'll get things right. Or maybe today I'll get things better. Maybe today I'll grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it's an opportunity, isn't it? Each and every day to learn more, to serve more, to love more, to pray more, to study more, to contemplate more, to bless others more. Time is sacred. With the rising of every sun, let us gird up the loins of our minds to meet that day with willing hearts to serve, with willing hearts to worship, to willing hearts to praise. Let's live in God's world with that confidence that with the certainty that he gives with every, uh, every day, we trust his promises unflinchingly and we live in hope of his continued mercies and his continued dealings until he brings us ultimately into his presence with everlasting joy. I don't know how eternity is going to differ from time in terms of everlasting life. I'm sure there's going to be passages of time and seasons even in the presence of Jesus. But that's going to be the time of the fulfillment of what we know now but in part. Of sacredness of time in the presence of the Lamb, of the blessings and time certainty coming to full fruition and fulfillment, and hope that comes into the blazing reality of his presence and his love eternally. Well, may God help us in the midst of our life in this world to recognize God has made it space and time continuum that we live in that testifies of his, himself his immensity and his nearness of the fact that there's no space where he is not and no time that's detached from his will and from his purposes let's commit our thoughts to him as we go to him in prayer Father, we're thankful for the perspective that your word gives upon life in your world. Again, left to ourselves, we would just fritter away the days in useless pursuits that will not edify, will not honor you, will not 
serve any good will or any good purpose. We're thankful that you call us to days that are filled with fruitful service, a fruitful study of prayer, of communion with you, of serving others, of living for your glory in the midst of a dark and perverse world, shining forth as stars in the midst of the universe to serve you and to serve others in the name of the one who came from heaven's glory to seek and to save the lost. The one who came and who spoke of time, that his time was not yet, and who spoke of the importance of working the works of God while it is day. Help us to be working those works. Help us to be honoring you and serving you while it is called today. Not to be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, but to be alive to the realities of your goodness, your glory, and of the hope of living living for your glory now and entering your glory in the age that is to come. So we pray that you hear our prayers. We pray that you bless your people as we ask for these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Your head you're matched this white thing, and you look like a ghost. Oh. I saw your eyes. The Holy Spirit. <laughs> what, why, why did that happen? I, too much sun? I don't know. It's, I don't think so. I'll close the lines right sermon, now. Once the, the sermon started, it looked a little better, but I walked away once. But, it, but for, for much of the singing, you look very white. 
very, very, very... You blended with the wall. <laughs> At least the top of your head did. Did it change much? It improved. Once your sermon started, I think the sun shifted. I, I really think that that's what it was. But we never had to make an adjustment on the camera before. So, um, Did you make it this morning or no? What do you mean? Did you make an adjustment? No different. I, it's, no different. I yeah. just closed the blinds. So it's right. not the sun. It's there's he, some. He, he started, once the sermon started, he started to look a little. I started to see a little contrast. But I think it's my sanctification. It's just. <laughs> That's what I said. It's the Holy Spirit. You know. I don't know. I may be able to. What's well, so I'm just going to disappear. <laughs> <laughs> I may be able to make an adjustment when I, when I start because uh, the videos are coming in in raw format, so they're massive. I, I I shrink them before, but I've also uploaded them to. Let's see the. We need to change hour. it to the the translucent pastor hour. <laughs> <laughs> the translucent. All right, so preacher. so hold on. We went to your channel, and now we've uploaded the last door. two. <laughs> We upload. Oh, there's one. Those missing. are the those are the, uh, the videos I like to watch. <laughs> oh. and then on 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 uh, Facebook I also uploaded. So we'll see. So uh, it's manual, but uh, I'm I'm able to do that. So I'll I'll take the recording and we'll see how washed out you look. Okay. Um, actually, let's look at it now and see if the beginning is okay. <laughs> I'll erase this one because I have this one now. Alright, so let's go through videos. We're going to camera. See this one. See if, if you do look the little. Oh, that's whiteness, man. No, it was worse. It was worse. It was worse. That's what I said. It started to get better when celebrates. When the sermon started, Creation? but you should have seen it God's glory. So, during no. the during the worship. You should have seen it. He saw it. He blended with the wall. <laughs> so no no settings have changed. No settings have changed. That's bizarre. Man. I don't understand what could have happened. Reboot the camera. Reboot everything. Hit the any button.
here the quietness and solitude of your we all have to do something in the tree. I mean that's the cool part we get to that's serve. It. That's it. I remember when I first went to the priest community. I was so pleased that they let me move chairs. Yeah. You get happy when you serve. Yeah. Service of the Lord. Pastor, during the morning, during this worship part, looked completely washed out. I mean, his head blended with the background. I've noticed that before. With the, I don't know what to do about that to make the contrast between that white wall. It's so white. I know, but I mean, it looked like his eyes were floating in space. Oh, no. It was really, oh, really weary.
I guess they make those things with but please I mean, I mean, I mean, 
he sang it. He sang it quicker. Have you heard the way he did his baritone? He would sing at a much faster pace than you would. That's because they had it precisely. But that's the Sometime if we're going to work on a Saturday, hopefully, mm -hmm. be you and Dan. Or you think you'll be available Saturday? I will do my best to be. Available. Yeah, and I mean we can work. Dan and I can work together if you're there, fine. And um, you know if you have other things to do, fine also. Uh, intermittently you okay. can be with us. But um, I'd like to come over an, an afternoon ahead, or morning or afternoon, sometime during the week. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to probably take your battery out. Okay. I want to leave okay. it. Your ticket charge? Uh, I don't think it's going to charge. I will take it out and try to charge it. Okay. And I'll take it to a AutoZone and get them a test that I think it will come up dead and not chargeable. Um, I would imagine it's like sitting there for 12 years. Yeah, it's not going to take a charge. So what I anticipate is using my truck battery at first, right out of my truck, right to the tractor, just to turn the tractor over. And then, that will be during the week. I want to make sure it will turn over at least. It probably won't start, and I'm not going to, I don't need to start it. Okay. Then, did I leave the keys in there? Did you? Oh, I don't know. It doesn't matter if they're in there or not. I mean, did you try clicking on it? No, I didn't even touch the key. I don't know if I've got Hopefully there's a key there. So, that's something important. I know. I don't even know. So, um... Let me know if there's an afternoon or something, or day or an afternoon when I can stop by there. Okay, but I, I want it to be something also, you know, you can say, hey, this day's better than that. Okay, I don't have anything scheduled for this week. Okay. Um, I mean, last week I had like, uh, what do you mean, blinds put in. Yeah. And so I had to be there for that, and I had to yeah, so, no, so, listen, if, um, let's start with Wednesday. Okay. If that works, I'll stop by in the afternoon. After okay. lunch. And if it doesn't work, we'll go to Thursday. If that doesn't work, we'll go to Friday. Okay. All right. All right. Very good. I'll be in touch. Yeah. 